Hello. 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 And welcome, welcome to, to Laughbox. Laughbox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip Lutz. Here it is, time for Laugh Box, yes. Now I know I've said it before, but I'm gonna say it again. I've got two podcasts, um, and this week's interview um, I did for the other podcast, which happened on, which was so fantastic. I had to share it on this podcast as well. I'm talking to David Rendell, and we're talking about Lightyear Free Flag. Well, hello, uh, friends, yes. and welcome to Leadership Happy Hour. This is Chip Lutz, Unconventional Leader, and today I get to talk to David Randall. I am super stoked because I've had, like, we've had, I mean, like, nobody numerous times we were scheduled and it couldn't happen, and today the stars so, are aligned. Um, we're really enjoy, finally together. So um, to I'm excited because he's originally in Wisconsin, boy. I live in Wisconsin. And we both started our professional careers as paper boys. So, welcome, my friends, to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Big cheers to you. So I'm obviously I know a little bit about you, but for my listeners, if you could give them like the 411, the hot skinny on who this man is. Well, like you said, I started in Wisconsin. So I think that's probably part of the story. I um, was a paper boy. I, I, I was a little league umpire when I was little to try to make some money. I collected aluminum cans, anything I could do to try to pay the bills. We didn't have a lot of money and I was growing up real tall real fast and I was always had pants that were too short and when I'd get holes in them my mom would patch them and so I realized that I had to take care of myself to some extent and um, but at the same time um, when I was at school I was always in trouble because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told and people would tell me you know I had no self-control and no self-discipline and yet I was waking up at five in the morning delivering newspapers every day Right. Um, but I couldn't control myself the way they wanted me to. I wasn't good at doing what they wanted me to do. Um, and I was always in trouble at home for the same things. Um, and so that was a big part of my childhood growing up was thinking something was wrong with me because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told. I um, played a lot of basketball. That's a great outlet for hyperactivity. We'll talk about that later. So I loved basketball. And again, I would go to practice at 6 a.m. and then during school, people would tell me I had no self-control, even though I woke up before anybody else did to go to practice. Um, got a scholarship to a little school in uh, Illinois called Judson College to play basketball. Uh, studied psychology there because I wanted to help people. Um, didn't know specifically how I would do that, but just thought psychology was a, a good route for that. Mm -hmm. And then I started working in uh, Union Grove, Wisconsin, helping people with disabilities to get job opportunities. Um, did that for about um, seven or eight years 
worked on a master's, uh, worked on a doctorate in management and leadership while I was working full-time, started teaching part-time, and then got a job as a college professor down in North Carolina teaching management and leadership and did that from 2004 to 2013. And along the way was um, building a speaking business, started as a consulting business, then a training business, uh, then a speaking business, and uh, quit the teaching in 2013. Um, and the business had been growing alongside of that and started uh, uh, just speaking exclusively um, after that. And the business has been growing ever since. This will be year seven in 2020. And um, that's sort of the end of the story that I was always in trouble that I couldn't sit still, be quiet and do what I was told. And now I get paid exclusively to stand up, not to sit down, to talk, not to be quiet and to run my own business, not to do what other people tell me to do. Um, so my parents called me motor mouth my whole life and told me I was never going to amount to anything if I couldn't learn to shut up. Mm -hmm. And now people send me emails and say, can we give you a lot of money to fly to our location and talk to us? Um, and so that's part of what I teach is that um, maybe that's true for other people. Maybe other people have weaknesses that might be strengths and maybe the things we're trying to fix about ourselves or to your point in leadership, maybe the things we're trying to fix about the people around us, our employees, um, are, are not things that need to be fixed, or maybe things that we should be actually encouraging them to develop and to amplify and to increase, not to reduce and moderate. I, I love that. It's so funny, because like when you're telling your story, I was like, man, we almost have like parallel lives. Um, yeah. so, like I was, you know, for me as a kid, I was yeah, my first paper out and then shoveling uh, driveways, mowing lawns, anything to, you know, be able to mm -hmm. buy some of my own stuff. Cause we had six kids and yeah. you know, didn't have a whole lot of anything. So that's, uh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mowed the grass and shoveled the snow in college. And then, uh, the reason I ended up in the Navy was my dad, uh, out of 600 kids in my graduating class, I got voted a class clown. And uh, my dad was like, you know, I just don't see me paying for your college. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. <laughs> that was that wow. Was <laughs> well, too. Yeah. yeah. But it was a it was a great experience. Anyway, so I'm really excited to have you on the show today to talk about some of those things. Cause I know from my own perspective, you know, having been kind of a an oddball and uh, a goofball, and then you know, stuck in an environment that is, um, say, a little more structured, like the military. You know, I yeah. wasn't always. I wasn't always appreciated for the uniqueness that I brought. And so <laughs> it'll it's, imagine. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it, it's kind of cool to, you know, hear somebody that, uh, you know, has a message that, you know, helps people like me and others like us, you know, to, you know, to move forward. Now, before we get into that conversation, I'm just going to ask you a random question has nothing right. to do with uh, our conversation. So you have siblings. Yes, I do. Older, older younger. brother, younger brother, and a younger sister. Oh, you're okay. So your older brother. Second of four. Yeah. Yeah. Your older brother. So when you were growing up, what was the one thing that uh, he did to you to this day that you're like, mm, someday vengeance will be mine? Uh, I was taller. I, I ended up growing up taller than him. But when I graduated from high school, I was 6'4, 140, if you can picture that. So. Uh -huh. I was so skinny, you could see my heart beating even when my shirt was on. <laughs> um, and he and my younger brother were just like more medium-sized people, like just more normal-sized people. So mm -hmm. he always had me by 30, 40 pounds. It wasn't even close. Um, and I would, I would wrestle him because um, I had 
this desire to beat him up uh, when he would make me mad, but I physically couldn't. There was just, but I had the intensity and the drive to do it. I just didn't have the physical wherewithal. Mm -hmm. And so sooner or later he would win, he would pin me down. He would kneel on my arms just below my shoulders and he would just tap on my sternum uh, slowly and methodically <laughs> until I would give up and tell him that if he let me go, I wouldn't attack him again. And then as soon as he would let me go, I would attack him again. And then I would inevitably lose. And then he would pin me down and he would tap on my sternum until I gave up. Um, and so, yeah, the problem is I'm just still not big enough. I don't think to probably beat him up. I do Ironman's and stuff like that, but I don't do like, I don't do like uh, UFC or mixed martial arts or something. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to use weapons or something like that. And I think that's probably off limits. So, that's but I, 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 it would be nice. It would be nice in some ways to, uh, to take vengeance. I think I take like, um, uh, accomplishment vengeance. So he got, uh, in a pretty bad car wreck on in his first year of college. So we ended up, we, I was just one year behind him. So we ended up graduating from college at the same time. Um, I grew up taller than he did. Um, I got a scholarship for basketball. I got one point higher on my ACT. Um, I got married before he did. Um, so I, I, I just basically remind him in all the ways that really matter that I'm better than him, even though he was born before me. <laughs> That's so awesome. I, try, I guess I take psychological vengeance. Um, but again, he doesn't, none of that affects him. You know, he's just like, whatever, you're an idiot. You know, I'm right. better. That's even though all of the stats show that, that he's inferior as a human being. That is awesome. Oh, that's great. Because, like, for me, I, I have four older brothers, and so oh, the, the, yeah. So, I, when you're he was tapping on your sternum, remind me my when my older brother was just uh, held me on the ground and just had a hammer, was just tapping on my legs. You know, it's like, does it hurt oh. yet, Chip? Does it hurt yet, Chip? And Jeez. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but not hard. Just you know, just hard enough. You know. So, oh yeah, older brothers, they're the best. So. Now, what you did mention in your intro is that, you know, you've got some books. I mean, you've like, you know, put out um, several books. Um, so, you know, I want to talk about, um, you know, The Freak Factor uh, yeah. and, and, and just kind of like, you know, what led you to, you know, write that and a little bit about, uh, you know, what the whole, you know, the catalyst for it and, you know, yeah. what the content is. Yeah. So The Freak Factor is based on that story basically my life story you know I realized that the things that everybody said were the worst things about me were actually the best things about me and the things that have made me successful are all of those qualities that people said would never get me anywhere I mean you just said you paid for your college because you were the class clown mm -hmm. and one of the things that probably gets me hired is I'm funny and people really laugh really hard to the point that they've told me they've you know peed their pants a little um, and things like that and so that's one of the things that gets me hired people want to learn that people want to be entertained right um, and I'm entertaining and the reason I get to be a keynote speaker and an MC is because I'm entertaining and the reason I get hired and maybe some people don't is because I'm more entertaining than people who just get up there and talk about things that they know and so those skills that I honed as a class clown are the things that, again, get me paid. And so when I realized that my biggest weaknesses were strengths and it changed my life, um, you know, I, I, I can't sort of overstate it. Uh, when you're told your whole life you're going to be a loser, and I thought they were right. You know, when every adult in your life tells you that you're not going to succeed, you figure they must know. You figure they, <laughs> you know, they can predict it, right? It's right. like when you take 
you take a standardized test and they tell you you're not college material. You just figure they must know. Now there's some people who are like, I'm gonna show them, nobody tells me, but that wasn't me. That wasn't my personality. I just took it at face value. And so my life really changed in every way. I'm, I'm happier, I'm more fulfilled, I make more money, I have a better lifestyle, I enjoy my life more and I'm more productive and I'm more successful once I realized that my weaknesses were strengths and that I didn't have to, I mean, we're coming up on New Year's resolution time and what do most people do at New Year's resolution? Oh man, I need to be more organized. I need to push myself to get out more and I'm too much of an introvert. I should have people over more often and, and my boss tells me that I need to be nicer to people and so I gotta work on my interpersonal skills and we have this list of all these things that are wrong with us that we think we need to do something about um, and I need to take things more seriously and I need to stop being more spontaneous and I need to start using my daily planner. Um, when in fact, oftentimes that's not true and that what we could really be tapping into the core of who we are instead of following all of these guidelines we've got from other people about how to have a good life. And so when I realized that my weaknesses were strengths, I started to wonder if other people had weaknesses that were strengths because it's not, it doesn't help anybody if it's just my story. And mm -hmm. I started finding all these amazing examples of people who had weaknesses that were also strengths and started blogging about it and uh, speaking about it and uh, people would have so many questions after I was done speaking especially you know hey what's good about this bad thing about me I put together an assessment uh, um, I put together other examples I tried to help answer that question well what would I do you know if my weaknesses were strengths how could I have a better life mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I wrote The Freak Factor was because it transformed my life and um, it has a huge impact on the audiences that I speak to and they want to have better marriages. They want to run their businesses better. They want to manage people more effectively. They want to be better parents. And so I wrote a book that tries to answer those questions and show them how they can use this idea that weaknesses are strengths to change their lives. So um, I didn't know that you had an assessment. So like, you know, yeah. uh, how, what does it test? I mean, is it like finding, yeah. how does that work? Yeah, it's super simple. So uh, like I said, when I would speak, people would be like, that was awesome. You know, I have bad handwriting. What's good about that? You know, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> um, uh, you know, or, you know, they would, and I could answer the questions, you know, that's actually a simple one. People who have bad handwriting uh, are usually going pretty fast. They're usually going pretty fast because they're pretty smart. Uh, smart, smarter people tend to have worse handwriting. Their science uh, that shows that. Um, and people who are more deliberate and more careful um, oftentimes have better handwriting. Um, but anyway, I thought, well, I need to have a better way to do this. And so I actually created it as an activity we could do during a short workshop or a talk. And so it's simply a list of 52 strengths. And you pick your top five um, from the list. Because I think sometimes you ask people their strengths, they have a hard time just coming up with them off the top of their head. But if you have right. choices, that's easier. But if you just ask most people, list your strengths, they're like, I don't know, I'm nice. I, you know, so I <laughs> created 52 options. And then the next page has 52 weaknesses. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're supposed to pick their top five and then rank them one to five. And then on the last page, the strength is right next to its corresponding weakness. So it shows them how their weakness is a strength without them knowing that ahead of time, right? Like they're like, I don't know, I got these strengths. I don't know, I've got these weaknesses. Then they go to last page and they see that a lot of them match up, right? Mm -hmm. So the simplest and easiest one to explain without doing the whole talk 
is someone who's really persistent. That's their strength. Page one, I'm persistent, right? Mm -hmm. um, they go to page two, what's the weakness they probably check off? How would you say if persistence was a weakness, if we were talking about it in a negative way, what would you call it? Uh, stubborn. Yeah, exactly, right? So they're stubborn and pig-headed, right? And so they check that one off. And, and here's the thing, until they come to my seminar, when they look at 2020, they're like, you know what, next year I gotta let things go. I gotta be more flexible. Mm -hmm. I gotta move on. I gotta not hang on to things for so long. I've gotta stop, you know, endlessly trying to keep going on things. That's my biggest problem. And then they see, wait a second, my, one of my biggest strengths is persistence. Of course I'm stubborn. Persistence is sticking with things longer than other people think is reasonable. Right. What is stubbornness? It's sticking with things longer than people think is reasonable. It's the same thing. And you can't be better at persistence and, and better at stubbornness at the same time. They're opposites. You can't be more persistent and less stubborn um, at the same time. So going into 2020, the goal is I'm going to be more persistent. I'm going to stick with those things. That's what's made me successful. Right. And when somebody tells me I need to let it go, I'm going to tell them I'm not going to because that's not who I am. And I'm going to look for opportunities. And this is where the framework comes in. I'm going to look for opportunities where persistence is valued instead of putting myself into situations where flexibility and quick changes are valued. Um, and I'm going to build a life around this fact that I'm persistent. I'm going to stop apologizing for it. Stop trying to be somebody else. I'm persistent. That is also stubbornness, but every quality has a strength and a weakness. I can't fix that. I can't change that. I'm going to be more of who I am and stop letting other people determine who I should be. I love that. And I love the fact that you, you're uh, looking at it is, you know, in the new year, like people always want to change something that, you know, somebody tells them that's that, that they're deficient in, or maybe they something that yeah. they think they're deficient in. Like I never make new year's resolutions. I, I might set, yeah. you know, goals for the new year. Like, all right. You know, I always start each year with a new, like a, like a, like a kind of a learning plan for the year. These are things I want to learn this year. Sure. Uh, um, but as far as like me, you know, I'm well, I'm well aware of my faults, but most of the time, you know, I'm pretty good with them and I, 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 they don't bother me. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of times there are the things that, uh, provide results for me in the long run. Like, you know, yeah. when you were saying that persistence, persistence is stubborn. I made me think of that, you know, something that, um, has always served me well is I don't know how to quit. I don't really ever quit anything. And so, um, which, has always provided, you know, always been well for me. Other people would have just thrown in the towel earlier on, but I just think, ah, I'll just stick with this. Something will happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I like that. Now, how do you, uh, when you go and talk to organizations, how do you, because it's one thing looking at it individually, but yeah. as, you know, a manager looking at his team is like, oh, I wish this person was like this, or I wish they were like this, or, you know, you know, how do you, what's the message you give them on, you know, helping them, uh, accept their people for who they are ah well you you just answered the question so i'll walk you through the framework real fast and you just talked about the first part of it so the first part of it's actually awareness so do the assessment right so do the assessment with your people and a lot of people do right they do they, they do disc or they do mbti or mm -hmm. they do right and they get to know them but then what do they do then they go okay well then now we know what's wrong with them now let's work on that right oh i knew you were too much of an eye oh well then i knew you that's why you don't get so much done because you're not enough of an s or mm -hmm. whatever it is with uh with whatever assessment or oh you're an enfj well that's why care too much about what people think you know and you 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 use you use the assessment to 
try to get people to adapt or try to get them to adjust. And so my second part of the framework is acceptance. Accept your people for who they are. Accept that the strengths and the weaknesses go together. You can't have one without the other. I call it side effects. Every person has side effects. Just like every medicine has side effects, every person has side effects. And so the mistake we make in leadership in organizations is, is we go, like you said, you're like, oh, man. I wish my people would. Well, that's great that you're wishing it. I wish I was 17 feet tall and I wish I made $25 million a year. And I wish, I wish a lot of things, but right. those things aren't realistic. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so we wish things were true about people that aren't true about people. And part of leadership is accepting the reality that every person has side effects. No one's perfect that our way isn't the best way and that we can't change people. I mean, that's one of the things I learned. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology from University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And one of the things I learned from studying six years of psychology, undergraduate and graduate, is people don't change that much. Right. Um, you don't take an introverted person and turn them into an extroverted salesperson, for example. You don't take a diligent, organized and structured person and turn them into a freewheeling, spontaneous skydiver. That's mm -hmm. just not the way people work. And so the question is, who do I have? How do I accept it? And not just accept it. The next step is to appreciate it. How do I see that upside, that persistence? Oh my gosh, they're so stubborn and that drives me crazy. But isn't it great to have somebody on the team who's so persistent mm -hmm. and who sticks with it and doesn't let go? So then we move into new behaviors. We try to help that person amplify it. So what I tell organizations and what I tell leaders is what if you could give a person a chance to amplify those characteristics that you're always trying to, to, to reduce and to moderate what if you gave them a chance to turn up the volume and then people are like, oh, well, that's not the job they have. And that's the next one. Alignment. How do you move them into situations? Do they need a transfer? Can you give them more of a certain kind of work that really fits with who they are? You know, you got somebody who wants to always be on the move and be talking to people. Well, can you give them more of the meetings and more of the interpersonal side of their job and transfer some of the paperwork stuff to some of the other people? Can people cooperate? Um, and that's another part, avoidance. So if you're helping people find the right fit, are you willing to let people stop doing things that don't fit with who they are? And mm -hmm. we struggle with that. Oh, it's in the job description, or that's just the way it is. Well, it, the job description wasn't written by Jesus in the early, you know, <laughs> early, you know, first century. The job description was written by somebody at your organization, right? right. And maybe it was written by you, so you could change it, right? We oftentimes write job descriptions that no real human being could actually do. One of my favorites is small businesses oftentimes hire somebody um, to do accounting and human resources, right? 50-50. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> like those are two different people, right? Either they're doing a good job with the human resources and they're not doing a good job with accounting or they're doing a great job with the accounting and they're not doing a very good job with the human resources. Mm -hmm. um, or all they're doing with the human resources is the accounting, right? The payroll, the benefits, things like that. But they're certainly not looking at culture and improvement and things like that because those are different people. And so we need to let people avoid things that don't fit with who they are. And then the last one is affiliation. Help people partner with other people who are, they, they're, are strong where they're weak. So as a leader, we need to delegate things um, that don't fit with our strengths instead of trying to be good at everything. We don't have to pretend that we're perfect at everything. And as, our, as we have teams, we need to help them partner with each other in ways where no one's sitting there every single day doing things that they hate doing and they're not very good at. How are we being productive as an organization if I'm simply just trying to force people to do things they don't like and right. aren't very good at? So then that gets into selection. Are you hiring the right people in the first place? 
and all sorts of different management strategies, but none of them come down to the most common management strategy, which is here's what's wrong with my person and I'm going to change it. No, you won't. And that's why everybody is spending so much time doing that because they think sooner or later it's going to work. And pretty much all the evidence points to the fact that it doesn't. And so I give them a different way to think about managing people in their organization. So it almost becomes like a, a battle of the wills. Hey, I'm going to yeah. change you. I'm not changing. Um, so that's really interesting. Well, you know, let's, let's talk about that for a second because I don't even think it always ends up as a battle of the will. The person says, I'm going to change you. And oftentimes the employee wants to keep their job. So they're like, okay, I'll change. And they try and they can't. Does that make sense? Like they try. Yeah. Like, okay, I will try to be. And they, they beat themselves up and it starts to affect their mental health and it starts to affect their relationships because every day, uh, you know, I wasn't in a battle of wills at school. I wanted to sit still, be quiet and do what I was told, but I couldn't get myself to do it. And my parents would physically punish me. They would punish me in other ways. The school would punish me. I didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to have these problems. I wish that I could come to school and somehow be quote unquote, like the other kids sit still, be quiet and do what I was told. And right. yet I couldn't get myself to do it. And I thought something was wrong with me because I couldn't live up to other people's expectations. So I think we really do harm uh, in our, with, to our employees in their, 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 their psychological health, their, their mental health, their emotional health, and their relationships, because oftentimes they're maybe even more invested in quote unquote changing. I mean, we do it in relationships, right? Chip, you break up with me and you go, Dave, it's not you, it's me. You know, you know, I just look at, and they're like, oh no, I can be what you need. You know, what do you need me to be more organized? Do you need me to be more romantic? Do you need me to be, we think, that it's not just other people who think they can change us. We think we could be whatever we wanted to be if we just wanted it bad enough and tried hard enough. And, and that's part of what I'm telling people. That's part of acceptance. That's not true either. Wow. That's so true. I mean, we, you know, it, true in our work relationships, true in our personal relationships. Um, that's, uh, is, <laughs> that's, that was worth the price of admission, my friends. That right there. Now, I love when, uh, going back a little bit, when you're talking about, um, uh, having people on the team that show up your deficiencies. I mean, like yeah, as a leader, yeah, yeah. that's what I always looked for people to have on my team because I know where I'm not good. And, yeah. and, and I always wanted people on my team that were smarter at that stuff than I was because there's no way I, you know, that I knew what to do all the time, but I had to be able right. to trust that, you know, I was bringing people on my team that, you know, had that, you know, was able to fill that knowledge vacuum that I could not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, why do you think that's so hard for people to get? Well, I mean, just think about school. If you're bad at one class in school, what do they do? They give you tutoring. You get in trouble. Everybody tells you you've got to get better at it. You're not, you, you can't fail this class. You can't get a D in this class. You can't be bad at this particular skill. And, and your whole life, you're taught that all the classes matter. You have to be good at all the classes. You're measured on your success over this entire wide range of things. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we're taught, and sometimes we even think that good leadership, good leadership is being good at all the things, showing up your deficiencies, not having any weaknesses, only as right. strong as the weakest link, don't have an Achilles heel. Right. You know, we have all these messages over and over and over and over again. And so when you think that's true for you, then it's a cop-out to have somebody who does it for you. It's a cop-out to have somebody um, who shores up that weakness. It's a cop-out to not be trying to get better at it. Um, it's a shortcut. It's cheating. It's, it's all of those things. 
Um, and so I think it, it goes along with the whole mentality that, no, you should be good at those things. I tell people, um, you know, when I talk about affiliation, I go, look, we need to partner with people who are strong where we're weak. And I said, the reason we don't is from age five to age 22. Uh, what's it called if you hire somebody to do that, uh, hire you to hire somebody to do what you don't want to do at school, right? It's called cheating. Um, <laughs> it's the most disqualifying, uh, inappropriate thing you can do. Uh -huh. um, as a student and for the rest of your life, it's called collaboration and it's your best chance for success. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons we don't. Our entire life sets us up with the mindset that we should have all the things, be able to do all the things, not be weak in any of the areas, um, not have any deficiencies, and we shouldn't accept that in other people as well. And so why would I partner with somebody with strong where I'm weak? And forget that, from a leadership standpoint, why would I admit to anybody that I have any weaknesses, right? right. Why would I even acknowledge that? Uh, because now they're going to be coming after me. Now they're going to be judging me. Now they're going to be criticizing me. Now I'm vulnerable um, and I can't possibly do that. And so I have to project this perfection and this strength and this invulnerability. Um, and so certainly I couldn't and that's why one of the examples I use to show people this isn't crazy is Paul Orfala, the founder of Kinko's. He had ADHD and dyslexia. Um, he got kicked out of four schools, would get fired from jobs on the first day. Um, and the way he ran a company worth $2.4 billion when he couldn't read or write was by hiring people to do what he couldn't do. Right. And when you can't read or write, people are really clear early on, you have some significant deficiencies, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. yet he was able to build a successful business by saying, yeah, I can't do these things, but I can do a lot of other things and you're not perfect either. So let's have a bunch of imperfect people get together, be strong where each other's weak and help each other to have success in ways that none of us could have alone. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Let's work together. That's a totally different model than what we're used to. It's a healthy model. Yeah. Well, I agree, but it's not the way we're taught. We're taught be better, be perfect, shore right. up, be strong. Don't admit your weaknesses. Um, don't let people, you know, see past that um, exterior. And if you do have weaknesses, apologize them, apologize for them, and try to fix them and be mm -hmm. working on them. Let everybody know. Tell you know, get up, get a three sixty review, you know, and have people tell you all the things that are wrong with you, and then then <laughs> sit down with everybody, um, and then and then and then be sad about it, and tell people that you're working on it, and that you want to apologize to them for letting them down. Um, and that's another example of where this fails us in leadership. You know, Chip, you, you, you send out, you're my boss and you send me the 360 degree review. And I, 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 I love you. you know, I love me some Chip. Oh man, Chip is, he checks up on me and he follows up with me and he, he, he knows what I'm working on and he gives me good suggestions for how to improve my work. And he mm -hmm. stays in touch with me and he responds quickly to my questions and my emails. I love me some Chip, but Steve, Steve works right next to me and Steve fills out the 360 review. Oh my gosh, Chip is such a micromanager. He's always talking to me about my projects and he's always giving me suggestions and he's always sending me emails and he's always asking me what I'm up to. He's describing the same exact activities, mm -hmm. except he hates them and I love them. And right. so what are you supposed to do with that, right? You're supposed, and then that's the conventional wisdom. You know, I have a doctorate in management leadership. I know, well, you give Dave all of that oversight and all that interaction, and then you give Steve more space. Well, how are you magically able 
to be everything that everybody needs you to be as a leader, how come Steve can't just adapt his expectations? It's because none of us can do that. None of us can be what everybody wants us to be. None of us can have all the characteristics at the same time. None of us can be everything that everybody wants us to be simultaneously. That's right. not realistic. And so all of these things kind of put us in these catch-22s. And so I'm trying to break people out of those mindsets and give people a different way to be successful. And we'll be right back with that interview with David, but now it's time for fun facts. This week's fact is a French study published in the journal Psychology Reports found that women find men they overhear telling funny jokes to be smarter and more attractive than those heard conversing about mundane topics. Other studies have shown that funny women similarly appear smarter to others. See, I knew that we were a smart and attractive group, so get out there and tell some jokes. Hey everyone, this is Paul Ozinka, president of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, inviting you to join us this May 14th through 17th at our annual conference in New Orleans. It's gonna be awesome. The theme this year is diagnosis happiness. So we've got experts from positive psychology, neuroscience, therapeutic humor, even comedy, sharing their wisdom on the relationship between humor and happiness. Now, of course, no conference can be all work and learning. So we're gonna be right there in the heart of the French Quarter. So you can sneak off, grab yourself a beignet and see all that New Orleans has to offer. Can't wait to see you there. And now we'll get back to Dr. David Rendell and him sharing a little bit more about what he's passionate about. That is fantastic. I, I just, I love the way that you just, you know, painted, painted that whole thing because it is so true, especially from a leadership standpoint. Um, you know, it's same, same leadership style. One person loves it. The other person hates it. You know, you're trying to figure out like, where am I going wrong here? And so um, in some ways, just with the, you can't please everybody. So you got to please yourself. Well, that's that you can't please everybody. So then you start looking at hiring different people. But here's the thing. And, and, in 21st century organizations, now you're a leader and you're, you're in HR because you've got some low scores and you've got to raise those scores and you've mm -hmm. got problems and you're a bad leader and you're letting your people down. And because people can't see that connection, they can't see that you're asking someone to be two completely opposite people at the exact same time. And this happens all the time. You get this stuff comes out. Amazon's the worst place ever to work. Well, last time I checked, they don't go and grab people at their houses and take them to Amazon and put them put them in a job, put them in a desk, put them in a factory, put them in a warehouse. Nobody does that. So anybody who works at Amazon, let's say corporate, especially higher paid positions, nobody made that person do that. Some people like that. Oh, they're always pushing you and they're always demanding more and only the best. And well, some people love that environment. Some people need that environment. Some people thrive out that environment. Other people start talking about work-life balance and other things Then don't work at Amazon. Right. Don't work at Amazon. But, but you have people who love working there would tell you it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And then you have other people who tell you that it's some kind of hell hole. And, 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 it, it, we, and that's one of the things we have to things. There's no definition of these things. I mean, one of the things to think about with strengths and weaknesses is who gets to decide. Who gets to decide, Chip, when, you're, when you cross the line between 
a solid level of confidence and being conceited. Who gets to tell you when you cross that line? Is it a blood test? Right? We think, <laughs> we think that That's this awesome. feedback, we think that this feedback is legitimate, but is it? Even if it's your boss, even if it's your employees, even if it's, I don't care who it is, we think that the feedback is legitimate and it never is. Who decides? Who decides right. that you're conceited? You're not just real. Oftentimes, the reason somebody thinks you're conceited is because they have very little confidence to yours seems like too much. Right. Right. Meanwhile, though, and this is part of alignment and finding the right fit, you go hang out with some super successful people and they'll be like, Chip, why are you so down on yourself? Why don't you believe in yourself? How about if we help you work on your confidence? You just went from conceited to, to having no self-confidence based on the people you're hanging out with. Absolutely. So, so we, we think that there's, you know, oh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. You know, I tell people, try some intermittent fasting, you know, maybe skip <laughs> breakfast for a while. Maybe other people don't know what they're talking about. I mean, most of the things, I mean, that's, and I, ha I live my life based on that every single day, not because I'm trying to stick it to people, because everything people told me was going to help me succeed didn't work. The stuff that I stumbled across on accident does work, and it's none of the stuff I learned in school, none of the stuff that I read in my textbooks. And so I don't just teach this stuff. I live it on a daily basis, and I do things that most people go, well, that wouldn't work. That's not going to help you be successful. That's not the way you do it. Right. And yet it does work, and it makes me more successful than most other people. And so I've really started to question whether it is that valuable. I mean, we've all been told those stories of how groups – oftentimes try to reduce the success of the people in that group who have extreme abilities, who do are trying to do more. We want people to be like us. We want people to be mm -hmm. normal. We want people to make us feel good about ourselves. And so there is a lot where we try to keep other people down. We try to have people fit our definition of normal and have people behave in ways that make us comfortable. I mean, one time I was doing a speech and I met the lady who was organizing the event. I was speaking at a school and she said, you're too tall. Those were the first words out of her mouth, right? And yet we listen to feedback from people who say, you're too uh, confident or you're too loud um, or you goof around too much. Well, those are the same people that say you're too tall. I can't change my height. Right. And there's nothing wrong with my height. What she's saying is you're so big, it makes me feel small. You're so big, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'd feel better if you weren't so weird. And so when we aggregate the feedback of everybody around us, if we took all that feedback, we would just end up being average, mediocre, and invisible, Right. which would make them more comfortable, but it doesn't make us better. You know, going back a little bit, when you're talking about, you know, the difference between uh, the feedback you get from different people. I mean, I, I've lived that in that, you know, uh, transferring every couple of years in the Navy, always had getting a different rotation of bosses. You know, some, oh, of them, sure. yeah. some of them would appreciate, you know, one, my mm -hmm. sense of humor and two, um, you know, my, I don't say kind of cockiness, but they would appreciate it. Other yeah. one, other, you know, would really be threatened by it and did not like that yeah. at all and would do everything they could to try to, you know, push that um, aside. And it wasn't yeah. you know, like my last five years, I had so much autonomy uh, before I retired in the Navy. It's like, I could really just be me, just do what I yeah. wanted to do. And yeah. it's funny that with people telling you like, well, you're never going to be successful doing that. And I was thinking that that's especially true in the business that we're in as speakers that, uh, well, this is the path here. You need to do this. You need to do that. It was like, I don't think there is a path. I think no. I'm just going to do the things that I, you know, I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to do the things I like to do, enjoy doing them. And, you know, things that have worked for me, I'm just going to keep going. So um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that uh, you uh, brought that out. Now thinking a little bit on, 
um, the fact that we never see ourselves as other people see us. Um, and that if somebody gives us some feedback, like I, I will take that and I'll reflect on a little bit and think, all right, is that true? Is that not true? Um, you know, and I'll discern on a little bit because, you know, certainly, you know, I might not realize how I'm coming off a certain way and that, you know, there might be something to that. Would yeah, you absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think you, I think you listen to the feedback. I think you, you take it in, but I think we've been taught to just that it all matters, that you can't discount any of it, that you can't let any of it go. You can't say, well, I'm just never going to make that person happy. Right. Um, so I, I think that's where we have difficulty. If you believe that it's my job to please everyone, it's my job to win them all over, it's my mm -hmm. job to get a 5.0 out of five on the feedback, then mm -hmm. you're never going to be able to be successful. So it's not that I think you don't listen to it. Uh, but you have to have the perspective to be able to discount it or to just let it go completely um, or just to not even pay attention to it. I mean, I've recorded some seminars on audio and video for a CPA association and people watch them as needed to get their CPEs and they mm -hmm. still fill out reviews and they send them to me. Well, I've already recorded it. I've already done it. It's over. What, what is reading that going to do for me? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and one person, it was, my talk was called funny for a change. And they wrote, this did not make me laugh. David is not funny at all. I didn't even <laughs> laugh once, not even on the inside. I didn't even know that was one of the options, right? But they wanted to be really clear. Oh. So what this person is saying is Dave isn't funny. If you asked the 10 people in this world who know me the best, and if you asked the audiences that I speak to a hundred times this year, mm -hmm. they'd say Dave is hilarious. Mm -hmm. So what am I supposed to do with that feedback? What I have to do is go, well, that's just a person who isn't going to be a fan of mine. Right. That's a person who just isn't into it. That's a person who doesn't get me. And that's fine. I watch a ton of stand-up comedy and there's some people I'm just like, nah, I don't, I don't like it. But so I think that's one of the skills we need to have is not we listen to feedback and, and, and take it and also be able to leave it, but also be willing to give people the same respect, you know? Right. I don't get on, I don't get on Amazon and be like, this person sucks right. and they're so stupid and it's not funny at all. And, and, and if they ever want to be a successful comedian, here's the three things they need to change about their thing. What I figure is, you know what, that wasn't for me, but it's for somebody else and it's fine. I don't mm -hmm. have anything to add to this person's life or career. And that's, I think the, the, the mistake that we make is somehow we think, I mean, Seinfeld made that point. He's like, who else has a job other than comedians where people who know nothing about what you do feel like they can tell you how you're doing at your job, right? <laughs> and so here, let's, let's use that as an example. You know, if somebody walks away from your seminar and goes, Chip isn't funny, that's a, that's a mistake. That's a universal generalization. What we should get used to saying is, that wasn't funny to me. Right. And we don't do a good job of that. So the boss doesn't say, uh, Chip and I weren't a good fit. And his style didn't really fit well with mine. And that made it difficult for us to work together. No, that person marks you down. You get twos out of five. You get threes out of five. The person writes down some concrete weaknesses that you need to fix if you are going to be successful in, quote, unquote, the military. Right. Instead of saying, eh, this isn't really my style. And I wasn't really into it. And it wasn't really what we needed at that particular time. But there's other places where that's fantastic, and I hope he finds one of those places. And there's other bosses who like that kind of style, and I hope he finds one of those bosses. And mm -hmm. there's nothing really wrong with Chip. It just wasn't the right fit. It wasn't the right match. Right. And, you know, you win some, you lose some. That happens when you move around so much in the military.
Right. We don't do that, right? We say, it's like when we watch somebody eating food we don't like, we go, oh, that's gross. Well, it's not gross or they wouldn't be paying money to put that food in their mouth. Right. And we universal generalization, that's gross. No, it's not. We have a hard time saying, I don't enjoy that food. I don't like eating that particular food. And, and, and the stakes are low in that situation, but we, then we do that to our kids. Our kids are being stubborn, and instead of seeing it as persistent, we go, you're never going to amount to anything unless you learn to do what you're told and follow instructions and be obedient, and you're pissing me off, and why can't you be more like your sister? Mm -hmm. Ooh, now the stakes are higher, right? Now the stakes are higher because instead of saying, you're behaving in a way that I don't appreciate, and that is frustrating to me right now, that's different than saying you're bad. There's right. something wrong with you as a human being. And so that's one of the big distinctions we have to be willing to make. And we don't in organizations, as leaders, in our homes, with our families, we have to be able to say, I don't like it, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard thing to do because what we wish was true is that everything we didn't like was wrong or bad. I mean, you grew up in Wisconsin and you moved to North Carolina and then you start saying, oh, well, they shouldn't do it this way. They shouldn't mm -hmm. do it that way. And why do they, you go to another country where they drive on the other side of the road? Well, that's stupid. Why do mm -hmm. they do it the wrong way? Why do they drive on the wrong side? It's just different. It's not wrong. It's not what you're used to, but that doesn't mean it's a mistake. We right. have a really hard time doing that. And that's part of what I'm pushing with that idea of acceptance to be able to look at something you don't like. And instead of saying that's bad or that's wrong, just go, that's not for me. And we're Great. bad at that. We want it to be wrong. We want it to be bad. We want it to be unacceptable. And we want the world to sort of revolve around us. And that's not reality. And that's how so many weaknesses get defined is simply by someone who doesn't like it. And so they find the negative way to describe that positive skill. You're not funny. You goof around too much. You're not funny. You're unprofessional. You're not funny. You're immature. You're mm -hmm. not funny. Does that make sense? And they, there's oh, yeah. always, and that's how I designed the assessment is I picked every possible positive quality I could think of and then tried to think of a negative way to say that. And I thought of every criticism I could possibly think of, and I thought of a positive way to describe the same exact thing. And that's what I try to teach people. There's always another side to the story if you're looking for it, and too often we're not looking for it. And that's one of the big things I try to teach leaders is be looking for the upside. It's always there, and it's your job. It's really so easy to see what's wrong with people it's harder to find people's strengths. And we sometimes pat ourselves on the back for tearing somebody down or ripping somebody apart and showing them all of their, their, their poor qualities. That's actually really easy to do and really anybody could do that. There's no genius in that. There's no leadership genius in that. Leadership right. genius is looking at a person, seeing the weakness, seeing the corresponding strength and helping them to discover strengths they had that no one, including them, has ever seen before. That's leadership genius. Yes. That is beautiful, beautiful. Now, I always like to ask my guests like their best advice. Like I just got my first leadership job. You know, I come to you, I'm like, Dave, man, yeah. I just got my first time being in charge of people. What's your best advice yeah. for me on doing the best I can for my team? Yeah, no, it's an easy thing to answer because at the end of my talk, I use a quote from Peter Drucker. <clears throat> he said, organizations exist to make people's strengths effective and their weaknesses irrelevant. Organizations exist to make people's strengths effective and their weaknesses irrelevant. So what I would tell somebody, what I wish I would have known when I started working in leadership for the first time is when you walk into work every single day, you need to put 100% of your time and energy into asking, am I making my strengths effective and my weaknesses irrelevant? We talked about delegation and things like that, getting the mm -hmm. right people. Am I giving my people permission 
to make their strengths effective. And I'm looking for systemic, structural, organizational ways to help make people's weaknesses irrelevant, make their strengths effective. I think that's the number one thing we need to be doing. And if we were doing that, our people would be more engaged, more productive, more successful than anybody at any other organization because most places that's not the goal. The goal is to get someone to quote unquote do their job. Right. And that ends up leading to all sorts of difficulties and frustrations. So I think the number one advice I'd give piece of advice I'd give to anybody, walk into work every day and ask yourself, am I making my strengths effective and my weaknesses irrelevant? Am I making my team's strengths effective and their weaknesses irrelevant? If you do that, everything else lines up. Awesome. Awesome. Now if after this today people want to connect with you, where do you want them to go? Yeah, so my website is uh, D as in David, and then Rendell, my last name, drendell.com. So D-R-E-N-D-A-L-L.com. Um, and uh, there's uh, videos of my presentations. Um, there's uh, links to the assessment, for example. There's links to the books um, and things like that. All the resources that people need are right there on that page. Right. And your video is great. So I highly recommend everybody go there. It's a, it's an aesthetically pleasing website and has great stuff. So I, I liked your website now. Oh, thanks, man. <clears throat> absolutely. If, uh, now if we were really at a bar drinking two Wisconsin boys, um, I yeah. would give you some kind of drunk dare, but since we're not, I'm just going to ask you a few random questions for my overstuff. Would you rather book David? Okay. Are you game? I don't know, but I will try. I will. I'll apologize in advance because I never know where the book's going to open up to. So would I rather play this game or not play this game? <laughs> I'd rather not play this game, but I am <laughs> game for it. Oh, awesome! All right. First I also question. like it that when you said two Wisconsin boys, you got a little bit of your Wisconsin accent into it. So you said two Wisconsin boys. Well, I'm really actually I'm actually originally from Illinois, but um, oh, when I heard it, you gave a little Illinois, you gave a yeah, little E in there. But, I I've lived, this is the longest I've lived anywhere in my adult life. When I retired from the Navy in 2004, I just ended up here. So there you go. Well, the Wisconsin accent is very similar <clears throat> in some ways to that uh, Illinois accent. Like, like uh, the God Bears, you know, mm -hmm. um, those, there's a lot of similarities between those two things. All right. Question one of three. Right. Would you rather swallow a small fish tied to a string and pull it back up after three minutes or gently swallow a live cockroach? whole so that it lives until it reaches your stomach no beverages are chewing allowed oh definitely the fish yeah i would definitely too. the fish not even close yeah i'm not a cockroach fan all right next but question moving around and all those things is not uh yeah no bueno no bueno the second question would you rather be an ugly duckling until you graduate from college and then blossom into a proverbial swan or be just a little bit better than average looking throughout your life Oh, well, I didn't become more attractive, but my life got way better. So I basically spent my whole childhood looking ridiculous, being made fun of, being unattractive. So that's already what's happened. And at least now <laughs> I'm not horrific. And so step one, I've already been through it and that's better. I'll take it. <laughs> I had terrible, terrible acne. Like I said, I graduated from high school, 140, 6'4", 140. I've already been the ugly duckling and I'm not that much better now. I'm in shape. I do Ironmans, but even then, my wife laughs at me. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a giraffe. Right. Um, nobody's nobody's looking for me on the cover of a magazine, um, <laughs> even when I'm taking care of myself. Um, so I think I got the worst of both of those. What I got was you end up ugly your whole life, and then as an adult, you're just barely above average, um, or maybe maybe below average, but close enough to average that the. People can look at me during my keynote and not run away screaming. That's all we're really hoping for. 
<laughs> All right, last question. Would you rather always wear shoes that are a half size too small or always have your underwear creeping up your butt? Oh, wow. I'm going to go up the butt. I think you could get used to that. I think the feet thing would get just horrifically painful. I do. I agree. I agree. After I think a while. Used, I think people wear thongs. And I don't, but I think people wear thongs at some point. Maybe you just, it, it, you just get used you to stop it. noticing it. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. If you watch I... Rafael Nadal play tennis, if you watch him, it's hilarious. One of the best tennis players of all time. Every, after every point, he picks his butt. He, nice. He, I don't know. He's, he's a professional. They, they'll make clothes just for him. But somehow he's got his, he's got his undies right in his butt every time, every time he takes a step. I did not know that. You, my friend, oh, you, you are notice, a, you, you are a well of well of you knowledge. You can't stop seeing it once you notice it. Once you're like, oh my gosh, it's like if you're watching another speaker and somebody goes, that guy says okay a lot. Mm -hmm. Then that's all you can hear after a while, right? Right. Is that, that speaker says okay a lot. <laughs> so true. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. You know, one a great great content. I mean. Uh, uh, a lot of things, you know, uh, made me think a little bit deeper about things I already think. And I really appreciate that. So, you know, thanks for expanding my knowledge base. Um, and I know my listeners will get a lot from it as well. Well, I'm glad to have the opportunity. It's nice to talk to a fellow Wisconsinite. There we go. Thanks. So there you go, David Rendell. What'd you think? I thought he was freaky fantastic. Loved that guy. Loved our conversation. So many great things uh, from a leadership standpoint, from a personal standpoint. Um, great tips. I'm going to encourage you to check out his website, uh, connect with him on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, whatever your medium is. I'm also going to ask you, hey, are you registered for the conference yet? Um, I'm quite honestly tired of inviting you. So get it done. Get registered. I want to see you there. I want to meet you maybe even have you on the show. So check us out at aath.org. And until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying, we'll keep the laugh on for you. Thanks for listening to Laugh Box. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes. And or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is. Unless you didn't think it was awesome. And then just keep it your little secret. Or tell them it was awesome and then laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive like handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. And may the farce be with you.